0: Hello and welcome to my third attempt at recording this podcast episode. The last couple attempts ended very abruptly because all cognitive activity seemed to just dissipate. And I took that as a sign to recalibrate and reinitiate this episode the next day. And today I'm going to draw in an intention. Intentions are these pieces of code that we can feed to our subconscious mind to let it know what's up, let it know what it should be working on in the background. And my intention for today's episode is to hold space for myself, allow the subconscious mind to formulate without me forcing it. And my other intention is to be present and enjoy my time with you today. So today's episode is going to stem from a question in the This Might Be Helpful community by Alice, and I've chosen to make an entire episode off of this because it is very thought-provoking and very relevant, and Alice asks very good questions. I'm going to read the whole thing to you, and then I'm going to address it however I feel like I hope that it's helpful. Here we go. I have a few questions mainly for Cam, but I'm curious to hear everyone's opinion. What are your opinions on the more psychological approach? I haven't heard you talk much about it, which is inner child work, attachment styles, beliefs, affirmations, such as I am dot, dot, dot. My question here lies in the fact that if I am merely the awareness of the universe, then how is there an inner child to be healed? These two seem contradictory. This continues with the other points mentioned, specifically doing affirmations such as I am loved or I am good enough. Are these not then rooted in nourishing the ego and the self rather than realizing that you are just awareness? Furthermore, I find myself thinking all the time that I am mentally ill, have problems, and am insecure. I have identified myself with these things and made them a large part of my personhood. I spend a lot of time thinking about how to fix my thought issues. I am beginning to notice that all what I think is hard work to heal myself is, is just mostly overthinking. I think I am somewhat of a compulsive thinker. I spend most of my time talking and thinking about my problematic thought patterns, but the awareness of them is not making them go away. I rarely engage in things for fun, because I feel it's a waste of time when I should be focused on doing the hard work, the thinking, to heal myself. I rationally know I should accept and surrender, but I find my mind resisting and thinking about resisting rather than actually trying. And even if I try to be positive, the negative voice tells me I am lying to myself. I have spent a lot of time learning about psychology behind trauma and some, but less time on mindfulness or whatever you like to call whatever we learn in this community. However, I still feel like I, However, I still feel like I am stuck in my head, learning rather than embodying and practicing. How do I pick one type of healing approach and stick with it? This goes for learning about healing in general. I am so overwhelmed by everything I think I need to learn, which book to pick, where to start, where to start. You have already started, my friend, and you are asking good questions. These thoughts that you have are not irregular. They are not unnatural. They are part of this expansive human experience. And there is a lot of contradictory uh, information or concepts when it comes to self-growth and healing and these are paradoxes like how can I love myself how can I accept myself how can I say that I am perfect as I am and not address the faults or weaknesses or unhelpful patterns that I know are coming up in my life can these two coexist? Are they separate? Are they mutually exclusive? And I think that at first they may appear to be, but paradoxes and these opposing truths can be equally true and still held at the same time as opposites. Rather than negate or devalidate each other, they really complement each other. because. To love yourself and to say that you love yourself isn't excluding or denying the things that you want to work on, it's just giving you a better foundation to build upon. If the foundation of love is there to support your growth, then you're going to have a much more stable and secure foundation than something built on shame or guilt, which generally results in temporary alterations of behavior without any real devotion and satisfaction that comes from them. So in terms of why I haven't spoken about the psychological approach, I do, but in different terminology, different language. We're discussing not the contents of the mind, but the mechanics of it. And psychology is One field of study, one field of science, neuroscience is studying the mind from the outside as well. And then we have yoga, which was originally and still is this great branch of psychology that happens to have movement within it as a form of spiritual and personal exploration, but not as its only component. So most of what we talk about in any space can be linked back to philosophy or psychology or neuroscience or yoga or different spiritualities, different religions. It is all a, an attempt to understand what this is and what is going on. So Alice's first question, if I am merely the awareness of the universe, then how is there an inner child to be healed? Merely, is a word that we could omit from that sentence. The awareness of the universe is no mere thing. The awareness is the backdrop of all reality, is the stage on which the cosmic dance unfolds. It is the space, the field that reality emerges into. And so looking at awareness as this space that holds everything, it is the space in which it all occurs, including, patterns including the imprintations of experience onto our neural networks to serve as tools to predict and protect and perpetuate your life perpetuate human life and these patterns are occurring within this space of awareness and when they do it can restrict that scope of awareness to something quite linear something blind almost, because where attention goes, awareness can follow. Attention is that which analyzes the things that come up in awareness. Awareness is the space where things come up, arise, emerge. Attention is the thing that thinks about those things, the thing that dissects and analyzes and tries to figure out And the more sustained the attention, the more it can drag awareness in its coattails. And the other occurs as well. Things come up in awareness and your attention goes to analyze whatever that is. spoke about this in the last podcast, but I just wanted to clarify some of those things because awareness is, again, not something to necessarily identify with. And this is uh, maybe a theme that will unfold throughout these answers is that awareness is almost like a neutral thing it's just the space attention can attach meaning and significance to the things that come up in awareness and then through that attachment forms identifications the labels and terms we use to describe who and what we are and simply having the awareness of a negative thought isn't necessarily what will allow that thought to leave. Remember, awareness is just this neutral space in which things come up. So it's also filtered by our perception and our perspective. We can have things come up in our awareness and perceive them through a lens of guilt or a lens of shame or a lens of anxiety, a lens of devalidation, insecurity, loneliness, we can perceive what comes up in awareness through a different flavor, a different characterization. And so when we have awareness of the thoughts, I am aware that there are thoughts occurring in this space, but we have a resistance to what those thoughts are, then we're really resisting what's coming up in awareness as opposed to just being aware of them. And I'm not saying that being aware of the thoughts alleviates you from experiencing them. That process comes through, as you've said, the healing journey and the journey of exploration, really, because you will find as you continue this journey, continue using the curiosity as your radar, the thing that points out what might be relevant to you, the thing that allows for resonance. Resonance being the added dimensions of experience, of understanding, of connection we have to things that emerge in awareness. When somebody says something and you really resonate with it, you are keyed in. You know what they are saying, where it has come from. You can sense and tune into the heartfelt intensity or wisdom behind their words. You are more likely to listen. You are more likely to learn. And it is more likely to impact and affect you. I'm skipping a little bit ahead right now, but that's what we need to use when it comes to reading as well. When it comes to music, when it comes to people and activities and behaviors, if we Allow ourselves to go with the things that resonate, we are far more tuned in to that signal, that frequency, the messages and the lessons that come from it. Whereas just trying to shove things in your brain because you think you should learn them, there's no need. There's so much out there to learn that if you can apply curiosity and a little bit of effort, that is going to be far more leverageable than. Just reading whatever people tell you to read because you think you should. So repeating affirmations like I am enough, I am loved, I am worthy. Is that just nourishing the ego? Is it just nourishing the self? A little bit. But the ego is not to be discarded. It's to be developed and getting your ego To start operating within your guidelines your intentional guidelines allows us to continually reduce the amount of suffering we experience because as the ego becomes more developed it withdraws more and more from its argument with the world the ego can take the lessons you experience and come across through your practice through your health through the process of healing And it also listens to these lessons. It takes them on board. The ego is absolutely something that can be developed and should be developed because it will develop without your direct conscious um, guidance, but it will develop as a result of what it sees and what it believes about what it sees, which means that it is at the whim of the world around it instead of. It being something that has been gently cared for and guided by you and your conscious intentions. So if an affirmation feels too fraudulent and empty, how can we change the language that we're using to turn that affirmation into an intention? An intention being, I intend to cultivate love and compassion for myself and for the world. I intend to see the beauty in what I am. I intend to be present with what is occurring within this mind and accepting of what comes up. I intend to act in love. I intend to see love. I intend to be love. And you say this, That is an intention. You're not saying any mistruth. You are not speaking empty words. You are calling something into being. You are invoking something. You are telling the subconscious mind, this is what we intend to do. And then use your behavior and act in accordance with that intention. The intention makes the behavior easier to conduct and easier to sustain, easier to maintain. And that sustained behavior will then continue to reaffirm that intention to your subconscious mind so that it's not such a manual process. Nurture the ego so that it perceives the world around you through perspectives of love, compassion, patience, diligence, devotion, beauty. The ego is the filter that One of the filters that picks out what is relevant to us in our awareness, in our reality. If it thinks that your validation is tied to what you have, it will point out what you don't have, what you should have, what you want to have, and it will base your self-worth upon that. If your ego is developed to the point where it points out things in your awareness and your reality that equate your worth with what you do, it will start to guide you towards more doing more doing of the practice, more doing of the compassion, more doing of the acts of service, more doing because that participation in reality is where the ego is getting its juice from. From there we can start to teach the ego to be. We are not doing, things with the intention of love. We are love. We are in a state of loving being. That being is, it is beingness, isness, thusness, suchness, all of the nesses. Hmm, But how do you teach an ego that, huh? There's no one answer. There's no one road. There's no one single modality of healing that will be the silver bullet to our woes and our trials and tribulations and pains. No, it's a network effect. It is a combined effect of everything that you do, that you see, that you hear, that you smell, that you touch, that you taste, and what you think about all of those things. Psychedelics don't just cure people. What they tend to do is allow us to witness, observe, and change the way that we are perceiving patterns, the way that we are perceiving our history, our dramas, our present moment, our relationship. It alters the emotional response we have to those things so that it's less of a historical reaction and more of an openness, curiosity, love. And when we can start to perceive what we are, what we think we are through a perspective of love, that right there is what accelerates and connects us to real healing, real growth, growth coming from an intrinsic place. Ah, I love me. I am love. I love me. I love myself. I am enough from that place. You are also enough to make the changes you want to make. You are enough that if you miss a step and you miss some days and you fall back to where you thought you were, you don't have any marks against your name. You haven't failed anything. You've tried. You are enough. You are loved. You can love yourself and still look at the things that you wanna change. But looking at them through love makes that change easier rather than, oh, I've been so disgusting and slow and gross lately. I got to go for a walk. I got to go to the gym so that I start feeling like this. It's like, okay, that can be a effective motivator for some time, but it's not a sustainable motivator. Whereas if you look at yourself through the perspective of love and go, oh, I love myself, but that self's not feeling very good today. What can I do to make that self feel loved? What can I do to show it that is cared for, that it is valid, that it is enough, that it is okay. And then through the perspective of love, you get to go for a walk. You get to go to yoga. You get to go to the gym. You get to call somebody and ask for help. The lens that we use to perceive what occurs in awareness is very important, critically important, critically important. (laughs) Healing isn't linear. You are building your own map of reality. that's very cool but nobody can do it for you so when we reach these dead ends when we have these recurring issues these recurring experiences that we're done with that we don't want anymore what questions can we ask that take us beyond that layer of suffering that we're involved in right now instead of thinking what do i do about these racing thoughts this overthinking that's the problem that's a problem but you're aware that there's resistance to even experiencing those thoughts resistance to the change, resistance to what's on the other side. So instead of going all the way there, can we ask ourselves gently with compassion, what is influencing this resistance? What discomforts is my subconscious trying to avoid? How can I allow this part of the self, this part of the ego to know that it is safe and that it is cared for and that overthinking is largely attributed to you having a primordial brain that was designed to fend off predators and ice storms and whatever else the heck happened. And Not so much designed for a endless barrage of notifications and digital interactions that are replacing the actual flesh and blood of the human beings around us. Our brain was not designed for this. It wasn't designed for sedentary behavior either. The number one tip that I can give anybody anywhere is that if the mind is overstimulated, we need to stimulate the body. I too experience analysis paralysis. I get stuck. I feel like I'm stuck. And I don't think my way through that stuckness. I have to use the body and intervene. I have to cut off that stream of thoughts with action because the one thing that the mind cannot compete with is the body. Oftentimes that sense of overthinking, that energy that's in the mind, and it's not even that we're aware consciously of each individual thought of what those thoughts are saying or even the structure of that sentence we are aware of the energy in that mind the barrage the just constant unfolding stream of electricity turning into little concepts and ideas and repetitions and duplicates and questions that's energy move that energy back into the body allow your legs to do the walking and your brain will do less talking it will so when we have awareness of something that we want to change alter manipulate let go of and we feel resistance to what is beyond that layer of resistance and first we have to let go of the resistance or accept the resistance say hello you what are you hiding from me hmm. what are you hiding i was on the other side of that little layer of wall what's going on over there and if you quest towards that resistance curious curiously you might find that on the other side of that resistance there wasn't really much at all the scope of sensation and threat and danger and risk was amplified by the resistance but on the other side of that resistance you drop that resistance and the energy from you can flow freely go explore Hmm. I think I am a compulsive thinker. That's a thought. It's a thought that doesn't carry any inherent truth. It is not the arbiter of reality. It is just as subjective and influenceable as everything else that we perceive, feel, and believe. I think I am a compulsive overthinker is a thought that we can, if we can't let go of it, we can at least sever the attachment, the identification, with that thought. I think I am an overthinker. At times I experience a racing mind. At times I find it challenging to move my body instead of my mind. At times the stream of thoughts I experience can be really loud, loud, intense, overwhelming, overstimulating. But I know that I am not those thoughts. I am the space in which those thoughts can occur. And using that distance, creating space between yourself and the perceived problem gives you a little bit of breathing room to look at this differently, saying, ah, these racing thoughts. They're doing their best to keep me safe. These racing thoughts are the results of experience imprinted on this brain to serve as a neural pathway that is trying to point out what it thinks is good for me, what is relevant, how this all is occurring. But we don't have to look at them through the the lens of judgment. It's more looking at it from the lens of non-judgment, Neutrality. Just looking at things and going, okay, hmm. Not having to label it good or bad, happy or sad, just, huh. You don't say. We can use neutrality and non judgmental awareness to cl- take these healing steps gradually. For looking all the way at the peak of self-love and enlightenment and divine being, and then looking back to where we are, going, like, I don't know how I'm gonna get there. It seems like such a impassable, impossible distance. Start with where you are. Start here with where you are, with what you know, because what you know is less impactful than what you do with what you know. The abundance of information online is introducing scarcity in the mind as if there are missing pieces that you need before you start, before you begin, but you already have begun. You're already doing these things. These patterns have already served you because they've led you to these questions. We don't have to fight the patterns. We can thank them for keeping us alive, allowing us to survive and ultimately leading us to a point where we can begin to thrive. That's dope. (laughs) So recognize that the thought that I think I am a compulsive thinker is a story. It is a narrative. And I'm not taking away the realness of that experience, the realness of that felt sense that that is true. But I am saying that It's just one of infinite things we could use to describe what is happening, what is going on, what that is. You are far more than a compulsive overthinker. And I know that you're not trying to limit yourself to just that um, statement, that term in this, but the thought that you think that the hard work you're doing to overcome overthinking is just overthinking is a fantastic thought. It's a fantastic realization. That's good. I would clap when I'm holding a microphone. That's great. What's the question that comes after? What comes after that? Okay, I'm aware that the mind kind of can play tricks on itself. It thinks that it's working towards a solution, but really it's just thinking about the solution. How can I turn that into action? How can I show myself through real physical interaction with my environment, with my body, that there is more to this experience, that it's more to feel, more to think, more to be, and that the labels and terms we describe ourselves as are not all there is to be seen was more to this show there is more to this dance there is more to you you are not merely the awareness of the universe you are the awareness of the universe the universe experiencing itself through your human perspective a perspective that contains not just the age that you are now but every age you've ever been and every age you'll ever be if we can look at the parts of ourselves that need love and attention and support and security. And we can learn to listen to those needs and actually go for it. We allow ourselves to heal from the bottom up and the top down. Top down being the awareness of all of this, the 5% conscious control we have over this great supercomputer and the recognition that there are parts of this computer that can use our attention that we get to inhabit this vessel for a little while. And part of that experience is healing whatever this vessel has experienced. And if healing seems like a empty word as if it's so far away that it can't possibly be real, then start with curiosity, start with neutrality, start with an intention to accept, an intention to be open an intention to cultivate love, act then in accordance with those intentions, and you will begin to solidify that intention into physical reality. When it is in physical reality, we start to see how malleable this entire experience is, that it's not that we believe things when we see them, but we see them when we believe them, when we believe that they are at least possible. Also, side note, the idea that inner work, growth, healing needs to be hard is not something I subscribe to almost at all. Things can be difficult, things can be challenging, but fun and play are at the heart of healing. To experience joy and wonder and awe we can invite play and curiosity into this moment, into how we speak to ourselves, into what we do with our days and how we approach this healing journey to invite fun. I intend to have a fun day. I intend to see the fun in this experience. I intend to devote myself to self growth but not take it so seriously because there's no final destination. There's no point at which somebody is going to hand you a blue tick and say, you did it, holy shit, you're, you're done. You actually get to ascend now. Um, the stairs are over there, the elevator's broken. <laughs> Through these processes of mapping out your reality, exploring with curiosity and intention and openness, we do develop the ego. And that's good because it is thanks to the ego's tenacity that you are asking these questions, that you are showing up in this space. It is thanks to the ego's tenacity that I am recording this podcast, that I even think that I have the ability to describe what is going on here. That is the ego reminding me, telling me that I can do it. The ego prompted you to ask these questions. We can continue to develop this ego more and more and it will act in alignment with our highest intentions, our highest selves. It will act in accordance with the space of awareness, with the field of potentiality, with all of the possibility that comes from stepping back, realizing that you don't need to know, you don't need to know, you don't need to know. When it comes to picking these approaches, these avenues towards healing, it's a journey with many paths. Sometimes you feel like you're walking backwards. Sometimes you feel like you're going back down the hill. Sometimes you feel like you're at the peak. You're at the top. And nothing could possibly stop you from doing it again. But there's always a climb. And our resistance to it doesn't make it go away. It just gives us a distorted perception of the risks and dangers and fear involved the mind the amygdala it distorts our perceptions especially when we are attached to our thoughts or attached to their absence whether we are attached to peace or validation or whether we are attached to the idea of independence and not needing anything from anybody these attachments and the need to figure out and know what it is that we are and what we are experiencing keeps us stuck in the conceptual realm. It keeps us stuck in a field of language and descriptions and categorizations that are not necessarily built to empower. They were built to try and chisel meaning out of the meaningless, purpose out of the void, sense out of the nonsensical, and it is all absurd. So. I say again, we have to do what feels good, not what we think about what feels good. We have to go with what is fun, with what sparks something. I could give you a healing path right now, but who's to say that that's relevant with where you are in your journey, that that's going to resonate with where you are in your journey. if you go down a path and you find that it's no longer serving, you pick another one. Put on a different hat. Take out a different map. Because many have come before, and many, maybe all, have experienced what you are experiencing. And we can use their lessons as little tools, as pavers in the roads throughout our map of consciousness. But ultimately, we build our own roads. We build our own paths. And that is a journey of exploration and curiosity. And heartfelt intention and intensity and devotion and excitement and understanding that this is only transient experience. Overthinking can be a sign that you are thoughtful and deliberate. It is not your greatest weakness. It is not your Achilles heel. It is just something that is occupying awareness, occupying this space. Patience and grace and acceptance and love. And it takes time to really feel these things, but it starts with just saying, okay, well, I guess I don't have to have it figured out right now. <laughs> if you are overwhelmed about learning in general, which book to pick where to start, start with where you're curious. But also, Eckhart uh, Tolle, I can never say his name. Ekka Eckhart. Ekka. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Eckhart Tolle, um, Brand New World, and Michael Singer, Untethered Soul, Waking Up, Sam Harris, and maybe Bliss Brain, which is a book on meditation. I can't remember the author's name right now, but seems relevant to this situation. I hope this was helpful. I hope you have a really good day. I hope to see you again next week, unless something catastrophic happens. That was your little amygdala coming in there to say, like, well, what if actually you get hit by four buses?" Eh, we acknowledge it. Acknowledge it's thinking. Acknowledge that it's trying to help. Acknowledge that sometimes it doesn't know how. I love you. I'll see you next week. Thank you, Alice. Bye.